we are going to be finishing up our series called Authentic Joy in the book of Philippians today. And um, authentic joy or genuine joy in the midst of adverse circumstances. Genuine, bit of an oxymoron. Genuine joy in the midst of adverse circumstances. That's what pretty much kind of we've been talking about. And you might well ask a question, well, how do I achieve that if you've not been here with us? How do I achieve this joy in the midst of difficulty? <clears throat> Sounds like an impossibility in this um, modern world that we live in. Well, in short, the answer is the gospel. And um, <clears throat> that may mean everything to some of us, but on the hand, it may mean nothing at all. The gospel. Well, it means good news. And this good news has been the catalyst for the creation of a new community in this place called Philippi, which is in northern Greece, um, just that kind of like the turn of the first century. And in a sense, we here at Ecclesia, we're a community that's been created, um, if you like, by the gospel. And we too, just like this church in Philippi, we need the exhortation that comes from this letter. That's why we've spent 14 weeks going through it. And um, I'd like you to just think about a few things as I summarize, obviously, as we get ready to finish the book today. Um, as most churches do, we are aware of the task at hand and are endeavoring to do gospel mission and trying to do it well, but it's hard. And we saw in Acts 16 how Paul pursued that because this is where the church actually started in Acts chapter 16. And we know that, we know that partnership is powerful. You know, the Old Testament says, one will chase a thousand, two will put 10,000 to flight. There's a power that comes about when um, there's partnership. But our practical relationships, how many of you know, they need attention. It's like, how are we going to pull together if we're pulling apart? You know what I mean? How are we going to move forward in unity if there's division? And I'm saying, so that's been a challenge, hasn't it? Can we all attest to having a joyful, gospel-centered life? Or is there fakeness in our reality? I think if, and I'm saying, I've got both hands up because it's one thing projecting my Sunday smile. You know what I'm saying? A couple of people have already asked, How's, how are things? How are you doing? And it's, sometimes it's just automatic that we respond, yeah, everything's fine, everything's cool. Um, but that isn't always the case, is it? You know, I mean, we're not always living that joyful, gospel-centered life. <clears throat> Some are, but are we all striving together to advance this amazing, life-changing message? We saw the challenge of that in chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. Is Jesus our beloved, our esteemed go-to? Is he our ultimate example? We looked at that when we did chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Are we shining lights in the world? Chapter 2, verse 12 to 23. Are we a picture of a model spiritual servant individually? Chapter 2, verse 19 to 24. Are you trusting God in tough times? Chapter 2, verse 25 to 30. Is there any value... In your testimony. It's like sometimes, like going through good times and we're good isn't really a testimony. You know what I'm saying? Especially for people who are not Christians. I mean, this, I'm saying when things are good, things are good. But I think it's often when times are bad and times are difficult. And I'm saying that people really are encouraged as they see us endure tough times and are still genuinely smiling. You know what I'm saying? Are we trusting God in tough times? Is, is there any value in our testimony? Are we maturing as believers, humbly pursuing Christ? We were challenged, chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. Um, do you have genuine hope regarding the future? 
We saw in chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. When we find ourselves embittered in the church, do we seek Christ's way of peace? I'm saying we're supposed to be peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus. And I think, is it Psalm 133? The Bible says, um, Oh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity because it's in that place that God commands the blessing. I'm saying nothing can stop the blessing. But how do you create an environment for that? Well, it's it's unity, isn't it? Um, So we need to be peacemakers in order that we can draw God's goodness in our direction. And then lastly, do we draw on God's power and therefore enjoy his authentic contentment? Chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. Can you see why we've needed to look at this letter? Today we come to our last installment in the series. And um, our message is entitled, Gospel-Empowered Partnership. It's a little bit like Paul going right back to the beginning, kind of where he started the letter. Gospel-Empowered Partnership. Remember, it's a letter, right? So, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? When you're writing a letter, normally it's in one sitting. And often you will come back to kind of where you started just to make your ultimate point, as it were. Um, And we're... And we're in chapter 4, obviously the last chapter, going to be looking at verse 14 to 23. Um, I'm going to put the text up so we can read it and then we'll pray. Philippians, that's supposed to be 4, verse 14 to 23. It says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that In the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Would you join with me as I pray? Father Paul seems to argue that if we were to let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in us, and then that would be the key to having genuine joy in the midst of adverse circumstances. Apart from the work of your spirit, this is an impossibility. But thank you, Lord, with, with God, all things are possible. Lord, would you teach us your way and help us to walk in your truth for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Most of us have heard of Lewis Hamilton, apart from the fact that he's a good-looking brother, right? Lewis Hamilton, if you don't know anything else about him, he's actually an F1 driver, Formula One driver. And I wasn't really interested in F1 until I began to see this guy. I don't know how long ago it was, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, he became really quite popular. And obviously, as a a person of color, he was like, this brother caused me to begin to become a little bit interested. You know what I'm saying? I'm no avid follower of F1, but I know who, I know who Lewis Hamilton is. And Lewis Carl Davidson Hamilton, MBE, you know, is a British racing driver who races in Formula One for Mercedes Motorsport. He's a five-time Formula One world champion. 
and he's often considered the best driver of his generation and widely regarded as one of the greatest drivers in the history of the sport. Hey. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever watched um, him, especially just after he's won. He will very, very, very often make reference to the larger team that he's a part of. Sometimes you see him, he wins the race, right? And after the race, he'll run because the whole team are there. He'll run and jump into the team and they grab him and they hug him and they're like, yeah, we won another race. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But he's constantly make, making reference to this larger team. And apparently there's about 500 people that make up the Mercedes Motorsport AMG, um, is it Proto or something or another? I forget that. Patroni, Patronis, the team. 500 people. Without which... Lewis Hamilton could achieve nothing. Fellow teammate, Valtteri Bottas, always keeping him sharp, always challenging one another. They're on the same team, but they're always competing against one another, but supporting one another. They're on the same team. And when one man wins, the other man wins. There are other individuals, there are technicians, there are engineers, medical staff, nutritionists, not to mention his friends and his family who support him. When he wins, it's the whole team that wins. But without the team, not only does he not win, nobody wins. There's no way Lewis Hamilton could have won anything without a massive team of people behind him. And, if, and, and, and here's the big point. If any of those team members fail to do their job, it could easily jeopardize Mercedes's success. Because in a partnership, everyone has a role to play. Courtney, back on your feet, brother. Bless the Lord, man. Play, praise the Lord. In a partnership, everyone has to has to play their role. Now, this is true in life in general, but especially true in the Christian life, especially true in the church, amen? Now, as we partner together with God for the progress of his kingdom, <laughs> I mean, boy, I could stop right there for the next 10 minutes. As we partner with God for the progress of his kingdom, we should do so in a real loving, devoted manner. We're talking about gospel-empowered partnership. Now, that's my main point today, and I suppose there are four elements to that point. One, immediate involvement. Two, committed kindness. Three, fruitful generosity. And four, God-glorifying dependence. Immediate involvement, committed kindness, fruitful generosity, and God-glorifying dependence. Okay, before we just get to our, our first point, a quick heads up regarding the immediate context. Through the gospel, that is Christ's sacrifice, right, for sinners, which is good news, we saw that God really cared for these disciples in Philippi. Because right? they got the gospel, and it resulted in transforming, changing, saving their lives, right? And these disciples in Philippi, <clears throat> God really cares about them, hence them receiving the gospel, wonderful. Um, but what we also see is that <clears throat> these disciples, having received and been recipients of God's love and goodness, they now turn around and show that same care and commitment to Paul. And this gave Paul great joy. In the Philippians, yes, but more so in the Lord, last week we heard in verse 10. He's really blessed by the commitment of, and the care of these people. But Paul's real motivation for ministry, and we'll come back to that at the end, is, is his relationship with the Lord. I mean, Judith challenged us a minute ago about that. 
And, and also earlier in verse 4 of chapter 4, Paul says, he says, rejoice where? In the Lord. And he says, and he says, and again, I will say, rejoice. You know what I'm saying? And you can see where his fundamental, like, um, his, the substructure, the foundation of his life is really solidly built, you know what I'm saying, on the Lord. And, you know, as, as nice as people are, or are not, you know what I'm saying, as the case may be. I mean, if, you know, we can't really put our dependence on anyone. I mean, please don't put your dependence on me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you already know that if I failed you, bare times already, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? We can't put our dependence on anyone. Fundamentally, our dependence has to be on the Lord. Amen? And, 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 and Paul is, is encouraged to do so because of God's supply of grace, you know what I'm saying, that comes to him. And, and on that basis, Paul is content. And as much as Paul had needs, remember, he said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself. You know, again, just summarizing a little bit of last week's. Um, here's, a, here's, here's, here's the text from the Amplified Version. This is just before our, our portion of the text today. And he says, for I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy regarding, regardless of my circumstances. Hey, I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. No, I have learned the secret, boy. We need to discover that secret, right? I've learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. I can do all things which he has called me to do. I like that caveat. I can do all things which he, God, has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Ain't that a beautiful translation? Amplified, you know. It amplifies the text. Verse 14, nevertheless, it was right for you to share with me in my difficulties. Can you see the love of this community of believers expressed towards Paul, particularly during his time of difficulty? And when did they begin to express that love? Immediately, which is our first point. Immediate involvement. Immediate involvement. In chapter 1, verse 3, 4, and 5, Paul says, I thank my God. Now, this is the beginning of the letter. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer, notice how, with joy. Joy comes up about 24 times in this short letter. Making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from when? From the first, like, you're telling me as soon as these individuals got saved, they immediately, you know what I'm saying, they began to be involved, partnering with Paul, you know what I'm saying, in, in the ministry. These, these believers were committed from the very beginning. Do you remember when we did Acts 16? We saw three people, I say three people get saved. We see three people affected by the gospel. Two definitely got saved. One we're not sure of. The one we're not sure of is the is the slave girl. She was set free from the demons that possessed her, but you don't see what happened to her after that. The text doesn't give us any more detail. But the first person that got saved in Acts 16 was who? Seller of purple. Thank you. Lydia. She gets converted, and oh my gosh, the Lord opens her heart, and what does she, next, what does she do? She opens her home. Thank you, Brother B. We'll come back to that in a little while. Immediately after receiving salvation, she gets involved. Now, she doesn't do what Paul does, but she does something that supports what Paul does. Because it's a team. You know what I'm saying? Everyone's got a part to play. Not everyone's part is the same part. 
Not everyone is a hand. Not everyone is a foot. You know what I'm saying? But the eye can't do without the hand. The eye can't do without the hand, and the, and the hand can't do without the foot. Partnering. The Philippian jailer, remember at the end of chapter 16, he gets saved, doesn't he? And, 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 and immediately, like the brother didn't even wait till the next day, immediately at midnight, he takes them home. And I'm saying, he, he, he washes their wounds, he feeds them. And where does he do that? It, oh, in his home. There's something, about, there's something about the ministry of the gospel that will, that will encourage us to begin to, to do things that we may not necessarily do naturally. From the very first, immediately partnering with Paul in ministry. And verse 14 in our text in the ESV, Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Do you know what it means to have your trouble shared? Well, often you don't know until you're in trouble. And you don't know until someone comes and shares that trouble with you. Or unless you're inclined to share in the trouble of others. And, and it's funny, sharing with Paul in his trouble and not even with an ulterior motive. Just straight, genuine kindness. And we saw in chapter 1 that this is a thank you letter. When writing this letter, Paul was in prison, probably under house arrest, probably experiencing great need, possibly having to buy his own clothes, buy his own food maybe, having to provide for his own needs. I mean, there's nothing like being detained today under Her Majesty's service. To say that Paul was experiencing real need would be an understatement. But Paul says, I'm not complaining. Paul says, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not walking around with an entitlement mentality. You know, I just mentioned that we just come back from Canada. Um... It's funny how when we have our quote-unquote rights or the desires that we expect to be met taken away from us, how we can start murmuring and complaining and all. It's like the day before, no, two days before, three days before coming back, obviously you're watching the news and that, and I saw this whole thing about BA and pilots going on strike, and on one hand I thought to myself, boy, Maybe I won't make it back to London. Just get an extended holiday. You know what I'm saying? But then the, 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 the house, the, the, the Airbnb house that we hired, ran out on the day that we're leaving. So I never really thought about the challenge of, okay, where are we going to stay? You know what I mean? What are we going to do? Like, uh oh, more food to buy, more going out and eating, and more, more money. You know what I'm saying? Never thought about that. But all of this stuff is kind of. And, and, I, and I saw on telly people up in arms, you know what I'm saying, because their flight got cancelled and the flight's delayed and, you know what I'm saying, just people going mad. And in some way, you can understand it. I mean, some people were being interviewed and they needed to start a new job the next day, so they had to get back. So you can understand it. But apart from the genuine, I really need to get back, people were like, like roast, you know, like the people behind the, the, the desks, the, 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 like, what can, what can they, they, they can't do nothing, but they were getting roasted. And anyway, 24 hours before the flight departs, you know, you've got to check in online, right? So I tried to check in online. Helen and my daughter was able to check in. Um, my, my brother and my mum, well, we all went like the whole family. My brother and my mum were able to check in. But me and, my, me and my son, who had flown together, we weren't able to check in. And I tried to check in about 10 times. Helen tried to check me and someone else. Tried, my brother tried, everyone trying to check me and, and Jordan in. And we couldn't get checked in. 
And so, literally, we didn't know if we were flying on that day, but we got our stuff together, packed up and whatnot, and headed to the airport. On the way to the airport, um, I checked on my phone one more time. And I thought, you know, if, if, if I get turned away at the airport, Lord, it's whatever, you know what I mean? I actually had to holler at the guys. I think it was the Thursday, the Friday, to give them a heads up and say, you know what, guys, I meant to be in on Sunday morning. <laughs> Mike's laughing. <laughs> we, like, we, there's, a, there's a running joke between, you know, those of us that have to have the responsibility to teach and preach. Some of you feel like, oh, it's a minor. Like, who's preaching today? It's like, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But for us, it's a major thing. <laughs> it's a major thing. And, um, and so they were a bit nervous when I said I might not be here. Um, <clears throat> but... To cut the real long story short, as I'm in the car on the way, I try to check in again. And I check in. And I look at the thing and I think, mm, something ain't right here. Because it, says, it said on, on the check-in, what's, what, you know, on, on the app, it said that I've been upgraded. And so I thought, upgraded? And, and it cut the long story short. I and my son got upgraded to first class. <laughs> and the reason for that was because there was... The, <laughs> oh, you, you, know, you know about that life, bro. <laughs> I suppose you don't have to experience it to know it, right? Amen. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Um, uh, what was I saying? First, upgrade. Thank you, sir. This happened to you. So, the day before, there were people who missed their flight because of the strikes and whatnot. So they couldn't get on their plane. So they're, they're the frustrated bunch. So what they did is they had to create space on our flight. And because they, had a sh that, that they only had a few people booked in first class, what they did was they upgraded us to first class to make space for those who needed to fly. So I got an upgrade, you know what I'm saying? And um, what can I say? It was a blessing, you know what I mean? <laughs> Boy, it's a different life, you know. <laughs> up there. Boy, for eight hours, I felt like a superstar. Like, you know, this, it's a different type of clientele in that environment. People treat you, people treat you differently. No one ever looked at the color of my skin because they knew that if I was there, I'm just like them in one sense, but they don't know. <laughs> and I never tell them. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, Prosperity. I'm going to come to the prosperity thing in a minute. <laughs> um, it's the, the, like the seat, if you don't, if, if you don't know. Like it's the first time. It might be the last time, so I'm enjoying it. while uh, You sit down, and literally you've got bu electric buttons that you press, and your seat slides at, like, in, at multiple different um, angles. So you can, and the thing comes up from, from the other side, and you literally got a bed. I literally just got the blanket, Lied down, turned over, and went to sleep. Nicely. B.A. shared my troubles, as Bertram said. Um, and, and I'm just saying, I never expected that. And the Lord knows, I wasn't even complaining. I was like, cool, it's like, what, it's whatever. If, if, it's like, it's whatever. And, and I think it's, it's always healthy, isn't it? To, to always just stand at the back and be cool. And get called up to the front rather than elbowing your way to the front, <laughs> only to get sent back to the back of the queue. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, but, but, and it's like, okay, Robert, but what happens when it's the opposite? You know what I'm saying? What would be my attitude then when things don't go so well? You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that's the point. Paul says, whether things are good or bad, he's sufficient in God's sufficiency. And you know what I'm saying? Verse, verse 14 says, he says to them, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And, and you Philippians yourselves know, this is mad. It's like he says, thank you. Sharing my, thank you, you're, you're so kind, thank you. He says to them in verse 15, to be quite honest, things have been tough. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, it, <laughs> <laughs> in the Beningin. You'll have to watch that video to know. Wow. He says, he says you yourselves know that in the, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me 
in giving and receiving, except you only. Paul, you mean to tell me? All those churches that you planted, all them believers that you helped and supported and encouraged and prayed for, poured yourself, like spent yourself for, <laughs> it wouldn't even been bad if you'd said half of the churches. <laughs> the man said, not one apart from you. Now at this point, if you're visiting, like Mr. Carnegie says, rest assured, this isn't one of those typical money messages where the preacher trusts the manufacturer and, and manipulate people to give money. And I'm saying guilt tripping the vulnerable and encouraging you to make a five-figure pledge. And I'm saying take out big loan and remortgage your house. We're not that type of church, and I'm not that type of preacher. And neither was Paul. And we know that although unsupported, although unsupported by the churches he planted, apart from this one, Paul did the ministry anyway. That proves he wasn't in it just for the money. But that doesn't mean that it was easy. Paul's ministry was particularly difficult. It was full of trouble. He wasn't sure he would be alive from one day to the next. Therefore, having someone come alongside during this time of difficulty was invaluable. And this love wasn't just metaphorical. It was financial. It was prayerful. It was practical. See, this community in Philippi were very grateful for Paul's gospel ministry. So much so they wanted, they wanted to see others blessed and benefited through this same ministry. Now, they may not necessarily have been able to do it like Paul did it, but they saw how they could come alongside him in order that he could do it. And their giving wasn't even just for Paul's benefit, although he would be blessed indirectly. It was all about partnership in the gospel. Can you see that? Gospel-empowered partnership. Now, this obviously is a very kind, a genuinely generous church. Right from the beginning. But notice, their commitment to partnership wasn't short-lived. It, it was consistent and ongoing, which is our second point. There was a committed kindness on their part, not just initially. It says in... In verse 16, Paul says, even in Thessalonica, when he was in another place doing ministry, you sent me help for my needs once and again. It's like, he, okay, fair enough, you're here, Paul, ministering in Philippi, so they're going to bless you. And I mean, they got you. Not like the other ungrateful churches, right? But they got you because you're there. But not even when he's just there. He's somewhere else. And they still got him in their heart. And in their mind. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for mine. You know when no one, the person ain't around, you know what I'm saying? It's like, maybe they're not even remembering that you know, I'm around. So, so, but when they're there, then, and it challenges our motive for giving as well. But these guys were real. They were the real deal. Once, not just once and again. How many of you know Paul um, was, at least in one sense, I mean, Paul had many strings to his bow, but one of the things he did was he was, he was an expert tent maker, um, which I suppose in those days, I don't know, would that be a little bit like property development or, you know what I'm saying? He had a little side thing, you know what I mean? And he did that in order to support himself, you know what I mean? And, um, and Paul would have to do that in order that he could feed himself and sometimes to feed others that he was doing ministry with. You know what I mean? And, um, and you're right, Mr. Carnegie, this is so back to front compared to what we hear a lot in quote-unquote Christian ministry, Christian churches today, where um, people are being abused, really, 
And I'm saying, that's, I think that's one of the reasons for about 10 years, we never even talked about money in, in our church. For the first year, we never even took up an offering because we just wanted to separate ourselves from that disgusting, you know what I'm saying, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, you know what I'm saying, if you have a need, sow a seed, that nonsense. You know what I'm saying? We just wanted to distance ourselves now. You know what I'm saying? We've already apologized for the fact that we realized that that wasn't healthy. You know, to, go to, to move from one direction is one thing, but to go all the way to another extreme is, is not healthy. And, but we've been addressing that. And again, I'll mention um, something coming up soon regarding kind of giving and finances and so on. Um, but <clears throat> can you see that, that, these, that, that, that Paul... For a substantial portion of Paul's ministry, he had to take care of himself because no one else was willing to take care of him. You know what I mean? Apart from this church. Paul is what it's, it's, they call it bivocational ministry. And, you know, it's no great secret. Um, all of us here who pastor and involved in leadership here, we're all bivocational. We all got full-time jobs that we do apart from serving here at the church. You know what I mean? And um, just last... Just recently, you know, Pastor E was able to go full-time and begin to look at drawing a salary, but even that wasn't adequate for him, you know what I'm saying? So, like, to say that we understand tough times to some degree, I mean, you know, our life ain't on the, on the line, you know, we're not, we're not thinking, it's not that I'm, you may not see me tomorrow because my life's at risk, but, I mean, but, I mean, if you know, like, have it, like, Having challenges financially is real. And if we, never, if, we, if, we, if we never worked, we wouldn't eat. You know what I'm saying? And um, the church here hasn't been able to support us in that sense. Um, and I don't know if I'll have time to make some comments towards the end that how this impacts me, at least looking at the life of Paul. But I've been challenged myself, you know what I'm saying, about grumbling and moaning and complaining. Um, Paul is such an incredible example. So his ministry was subsidized, it seems, at a certain point where he's tent making, here comes offerings and gifts from this Philippian church. I remember Lydia was nice. She had her own business. She was able to really support, you know what I mean, in quite substantial ways. And, and it's argued that, um, at least in terms of the text, she was possibly, if not probably, one of the main contributors to Paul's ministry. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's one of the reasons the apostle is filled with such joy as he writes to this church. Can you see, not just the initial, but committed, consistent kindness. Paul is blessed. Therefore, those who would potentially hear the gospel through Paul would also be blessed. You see the power and the length, you know what I'm saying, um, and the distance that's covered on the benefit of partnership. You know, one person can only do so much. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, can, Hamilton as good as he is, as good looking as he is, can only do so much. <laughs> you need a team. Gospel-empowered partnership. Immediate involvement and ongoing committed kindness. Now, before we get to our third point, let's apply the first two points, immediate and committed. The reality of being part of a church as individuals, every one of us here that's a part of at least this church, right? You might be visiting or you might not even be a Christian. But if you are and you're part of this church, it means we are all a part of God's work. We are all a part of the team. Did you know that as a Christian, by definition, you are a partner in God's mission? Did you know that? As a Christian, by definition, you are a partner in God's mission. The question is, what type of partner are you? What type of partner am I? Well, we're to be marked by immediate involvement and committed, ongoing kindness, financial and practical. Now, <clears throat> not just when it's easy, 
or not just when we're asked. You know, I saw a message in one of the WhatsApp groups, because there's so many of them, it's hard to keep up, right? I saw a message in one of the WhatsApp groups where Jesse was asking someone to, to help out today on the tabernacle team. And I saw the thing, and then there was a pause, and then not shortly after, somebody responded and said, I'll be, I'll be willing to, to, to help out on the tabernacle team. And it was one of our, one of our more senior um, members of our church. And I thought, this, that's disgraceful, man. You know what I mean? It's not that the older individuals, which I'm rapidly falling into that category, it's not that the older people, you know, it's above them, above us to do anything. But you know what? Like, I went, I, when I was on, in Canada, I was trying to go for a run every morning, trying to keep up some kind of fitness. Pulled some muscle in my calf. I could hardly walk for half of, my, half of the time I was there. I'm getting old. Just can't keep up like I used to. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and, and I suppose it's a bit like a relay race. You know what I mean? You run your, your leg, and then you come to a point where you're completely done. You're exasperated, and then you pass the baton on. And I can't lie. I, you know, that's how I've been. I, I, I think Pastor E kind of hit that place, didn't he? You know what I mean? And I'm, I can't lie. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm getting to that point where I'm feeling like, boy, you know what? I don't know how much longer, you know what I'm saying, man can run at, at this particular, you know what I'm saying, level. It's like, it's been 15 years, you know what I'm saying, week in, week out, week in, week out. And whether or not, let's say, you know what I'm saying, um, Bertram is preaching or Mikey P just recently joining the eldership team, or, or Richie, or Neil. You know I'm saying whether or not we're preaching on a Sunday, which is honestly, it's it's really not easy. You know I'm saying it's, it, Paul says to Timothy, um, he says, "Those who work hard at teaching and preaching deserve double honor." It's like it's hard work, and um, I suppose I I just want to say that. You can, only, you can only go so hard for so long, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm grateful for the brothers that come alongside us. And even as we, we have recently been trying to develop, you know what I'm saying, other um, areas of ministry like the deacons and the council, you know what I'm saying? It's just such a blessing to have others come alongside, you know what I mean? And um, I suppose the team ain't functioning like a Mercedes F1 vehicle, like car, but, you know what I'm saying, by God's grace, you know what I'm saying, we're still moving, um, and, I mean, we're trusting that God is going to keep us by his grace, you know what I'm saying, um, and as Paul did, all we can do is look to him, but we can rally better, we can, we can, we can, we can contribute more. You know what I'm saying? We can share, you know what I'm saying, the trouble. We can share the weight and the responsibility um, in ways that probably we are not doing currently. Remember, like the Mercedes team, we jeopardize the success of the team when we don't play our part. So Paul is blessed by the ministry partnership of the Philippian church. And then others who would potentially hear the gospel through Paul later would be blessed. But look who else would be unusually blessed, which brings us to our third point, fruitful generosity. Verse 17, Paul says, not that I seek the gift. I'm glad for it. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? But not, it's not even that I'm seeking the gift, but what I do seek is the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm grateful to say I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, which is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's verse 17 and 18. Look at the way these kind, generous Philippian believers would themselves be blessed. You see the word credit? It's a business or a banking term. And um, when believers 
give. Whether it's financially, prayerfully, or practically. You know, we're building up treasure in heaven. Depositing into our heavenly bank account. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I suppose the question is, what are, what are you investing in? Are you investing in gold? You're investing in cryptocurrency. I need, to, I need to catch up with you, Mark. Find out a little bit more about this crypto thing, you know. Are you investing in your health? I'm talking about things you need to be investing in. Not that you need to invest in cryptocurrency, but I'm saying, are you investing in your children? Well, praise the Lord. That's good. You know what I'm saying? But then how about the church? Which, which should actually be a priority investment, you know what I'm saying? And the returns are incredible. You know, in heaven, you will see the fruit of your labors, and you'll be like, drat, why didn't I make a bigger investment when I could have? You know, you, know you, know you know when Bitcoin goes up, and you're like, ah, oh, I knew I should have bought some Bitcoin back in 2010? I don't know if it was around then, but you know what I mean? At 50 pence? Now it's 11 grand for a share. Oh, you see, you'd be like that when you get to heaven. You'd be like, trap, man. Lord, forgive me. You know, you know the Bible says God's going to be wiping away tears in heaven. I wonder if those are going to be some of the tears. Lord, forgive me. I never made the right, I never made investment as well as I did in those other areas in the church. You know what I'm saying? In, in gospel-focused ministry. I wasn't a partner in that sense. And the returns are incredible, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes we don't, we, we're not even going to, we don't even have to wait till we get to heaven to see the fruit. Sometimes we'll see the fruit in this life. You know, again, on this trip to Canada, I met with Helen's, Helen's got a couple of cousins, as I mentioned. One of the cousins didn't come to see us until, I don't know, three, or three days before we were leaving. So it felt like, okay, he can. he came along, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I never got to see you earlier. And he, and, and he said, um, he says, but I never forget when I came to London, because he came on a professional hockey contract where he was wanting to play professional hockey. It didn't work out in the end, but he came and he stayed with us for a while. And we took care of him, innit? And I used to live in Brockley in them days. And, and, and he said, I'll never forget, Robert, that picture on your wall. I said, which picture? And he said, the picture of a man sitting on a mountain of money and gold and diamonds with a big hole in his, in his chest. Because he was, although he had all of that, he was empty. He's, he's telling me, I'll never forget that picture. I was like, boy, <laughs> you never forgot it, but I did. I'm like, where is that picture? I've got to find it and put it back up on the wall. And um, that was the first day he saw us. Two days later, he then said, he says, Robert, he says, you don't understand the impact that you and Helen had on me when I came to London. I was like, what do you mean? Oh, the picture with the hole? Yeah, he says, he says no. He says, I've got something to show you. And he went in his bag and he pulled out a book that we gave him 28 years ago. Like we'd just, been Christ just become Christians. And it was, the, it, was, it was the New Testament. It was the good news, the NIV version, like paper, like a paperback. Looked like a, a normal book. You know what I'm saying? I suppose back then, which we weren't trying to... It, it was like, it was, it was an easier format to give someone that's not a Christian, is what I'm trying to say. And, and he said, look, he says, you wrote in it. And I looked, and one, I didn't remember I gave him the book, and two, I never remembered I wrote anything in it. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, I'm seeing in this life, you know what I'm saying, the, the, um, the fruit of ministry, you know what I'm saying, um, imagine what we will see when we get home. Imagine all the people that you've spoken to, all the people that you've rubbed shoulders with, all the people that you've loved, taken care of, shared a good, kind word with, prayed for. You know what I'm saying? 
You have no idea. All of that is so valuable. It's so valuable. You know, our spiritual earthly investments, they will pay eternal heavenly dividends. Our fruitful generosity. Look, the text says it's a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's one thing Paul being blessed by the benefit of that which comes from the Philippian church. It's another thing the Philippian church being blessed and benefited from Paul's ministry. Can you imagine? God God himself is being blessed and benefited by what's going on. It says it's, it's, the text says it's, 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 it's acceptable and pleasing. To, it's a sacrifice. You know, the sacrifices used to waft up. And the Old Testament talk about it being a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. I'm saying it's like, don't get it twisted. When, when, you, when you serve your brother or your sister, when you serve even an unbeliever in that fashion, it makes God pleased. God is blessed. Everyone's getting blessed. You know what I'm saying? Powerful, gospel-empowered partnership. Now, how do we do this as I get ready to wrap up now? How do we do this? Do I begin to get more involved just because, you know, just because Pastor Rob preached on Sunday and kind of got me for two or three days, and then it wanes, you know what I'm saying? It's like, do you get involved because you made a promise to Pastor Ephraim, and I'm going to serve on this team, I'm going to do this? You know what I mean? And now you ain't around. It's like, (laughs) I don't have to keep that commitment because he ain't here to hold me to that, at least at the moment. You know what I'm saying? What ought to be, honestly, what ought to be your real, yeah, your real, yeah. What ought to be your real motivation to partner? (laughs) Isn't it? What ought to be your real motivation to partner in gospel ministry? Well, It should be this. This is so beautiful, man. It should be God-glorifying dependence. See, how are you to contribute to supporting the ministry here at Ecclesia? How do you play your part on the team? How do you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure? Listen to verse 19 in its proper context. (laughs) So many of us have heard this in the wrong context. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Question. How do we find capacity and motivation to serve? Answer. Through God's supply. God enables us to serve. God is generous to us, and as a result, we are then generous to others. Can you see that? And it starts with with you and me seeing that God will provide every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, and it will contribute to bringing glory to God the Father. God enables us to serve. And it starts with you and me seeing that God has everything that we need to do the job at hand. Imagine Mercedes employing Mark to work for them, and not saying, and not give him the tools that he needs for the job. It doesn't make sense. It starts with you and me seeing. You see, this is the motivation for us to be involved in ministry. It starts with us seeing that God will provide all that we need, all the strength, all the wisdom, all the energy, the vision, the humility, the endurance, the patience. And as we are generous, in, and, and you know, it's sometimes we want them things. And we're like, Lord, I want these things. And the Lord will be like, what? What? Why should I give you more of what I've already given you and you ain't using it? You know what I mean? See, as, as we are generous in our service to, to others, God is generous in his supply to us. 
You know, there's a verse in Proverbs. One of, it's, it's just one of those verses that just, you know, you, you get verses that stay with you. I can't remember the chapter, and the chapter and the verse number, but I know it says, He who waters will himself be watered. She who waters will themselves be watered. It's like, I got needs, Lord. Now I can stay in this place begging the Lord to meet my need. Like Judith says, you know what I'm saying? Just praise God anyway. And you'll be surprised, you know what I'm saying? In your need, as you praise the Lord, as you, boy, I don't, I, it's like, I don't have the ability to help. No, yes, you do. Yes, I do. You know what I'm saying? I have the ability, even if it's just in a, in a small sense, I can help, I can reach out to someone, I can make a phone call, I can go visit somebody. Um, and as I do that, you know, it's funny, as you begin to meet the needs of others, it's funny how God meets your needs, you know. I mean, you've got to try it. If you don't believe me, you've got to try it. God is no man's debtor. As we are generous in our service to others, God is generous in his supply to us. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ. And it will bring glory to God the Father as you exercise that. It's similar to, to him saying in chapter 1, and I'm saying, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who is all, is all the while working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he'd be like, I'm working in you, Robert. You've got no excuse. But I don't feel like it, Lord. And I'm saying, and so on and so on and so on, all the excuses. God the Father is glorified, notice, through the ministry of the church, similarly, similarly, to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus comes and he does the will of the Father and the Father's pleased with him. It's, you know what I'm saying? Jesus comes to glorify the Father by fulfilling his will. We get the opportunity to do the same thing. So the Father will be pleased with us in similar fashion as we follow Christ's example. And to conclude, this, this is extraordinary. And to conclude, see that, <clears throat> please see that God as well as being the ultimate supplier of all that we need, is also the ultimate example. The Lord never asks us to do anything that he himself isn't willing to do. Washing somebody's feet. You know what I'm saying? Um, giving of his time in prayer. And ultimately going to the cross for sins that he never committed. You know what I'm saying? Philippians 2 says, let each of you, who does that exclude? If you're Christian, none of you. Let each of you, not only, me included, not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, like standard, if you're Christian, well, boom, this is you. Verse 6, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied, him, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Notice, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How? To the glory of God the Father. You see how God the Father is glorified when an individual submits themselves to his will. It's the same thing we just read in chapter 4. God is a giver. And in the gospel we see that Jesus is the ultimate example. He's the greatest giver. In light of that. Let me hear you give an excuse for not serving others. What's your excuse? Gospel-empowered partnership. I know you might be a Christian, but are you a generous Christian? Are you getting involved immediately? Or you're waiting, like, you know what? Where's my dinner? I've been waiting for time. Like, where's my dinner? 
and then you eat your dinner, don't say thanks, and then take your dirty plate and leave it in the sink for somebody else to wash up. How many of you like that person? I was going to say, how many of you are that person? But the truth is, we can all be like that, right? Like, if we, like, in our feelings and in our flesh, like, we are all that person. But no, I'm saying, let's, let's be mature and let's get involved. And that immediately, immediately. Now, you'd be like, well, I just, I just joined the church and I need some time. Yeah, you do to settle down and so on. But how about if you've been here for years? Like I said, it was a disgrace that Mr. Carnegie had to, had to um, volunteer himself to serve on Tabernacle Team today. And there's so many of us. You know what I mean? Are you... Okay, let's say, okay, you're not that... You're like, oh, Pastor Rob, you know, I've been committed. I, I, I mean, I've, I've done stuff. Okay, when? When you first got, became a Christian? How about... How about since then? Or have you kind of, you feel like, well, you know, it's time others done stuff now. You know what I'm saying? This is a real challenge. As I said, I confess that this is a challenge for me because if you're not careful, you become weary in well-doing. And the Bible says don't let that happen. You know what I'm saying? I'll be like, Lord, help me to to tap into your supply so that I can keep going, that we can keep going in committed fashion in an ongoing sense. Number three, how about generosity? I'm saying, are you fruitfully investing in the kingdom of God with your heart set on your eternal reward? That means if you don't get no reward down here, you're not bitter. Because nobody said thank you, or no one ever pat you on the back, or no one never gave you no ratings. You know what I mean? Because you're doing it unto the Lord, knowing that He will reward you in due time, in due season, if you faint not. And then number four, God glorifying dependence. You know what I'm saying? Blessing others, knowing that you're a conduit. You know what that is, right? You're like a tube through which God is going to provide blessing for others, and you, and you just get blessed in the process. Let me invite the team to come join me as we wrap up. Gospel-empowered partnership. <clears throat> Father, please would you help us? Lord, one of the first things that really got me as I've been looking at this is the whole thing about returning to my first love. I remember, Lord, when I first got saved. Wow. I know a lot of it was just zeal without a lot of knowledge. But the heart was there. And, Lord, I confess that. You know what I mean? Sometimes I get to that point where I'm just like, you know what? Cha, can't be bothered. Why? No one don't care. No one ain't grateful. Cha. Bond them. I'd be a liar if I never said I felt like that sometimes. But I know that's not, that's not a righteous attitude. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to return to my first love. Because when I'm in that place where I'm like that, I know it's because my eyes are not on you. My eyes are on people. And my eyes are on myself where I'm not getting applause. I'm not getting plaudits. Or I'm not getting benefited for what I do. Don't no one see what I'm doing. And Lord, I know I'm not the only sinner in the room. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us? As we consider, Lord, our involvement, Lord, our kindness in an ongoing fashion, Lord, help us. The reason we get to the point where where the river runs dry is because there's a blockage and we're not getting from you that which we need. It's not that you don't want to supply our needs, it's just that we're not accessing that supply. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for bottlenecking your blessing for ourselves and for so many others. Lord, help us to see that investing in the kingdom is it? (laughs) Investing in the kingdom 
very shrewd commitment. One that pays incredible dividends. And Lord, help us to be motivated for nothing other than gospel-focused purposes. Lord, help us to enjoy, individually and as a church, gospel-empowered partnerships so that God the Father can be glorified through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.